Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. So glad you guys are here tonight. You have joined us. And you know, that's a sign of hunger. And here's what I know about God. Those who draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And that's what I love about God. You don't have to reach so high that he's going to dangle it in front of you. No, when you start reaching, he's there immediately. And I know he's going to meet you tonight right where you are. I believe that tonight. And so as Pastor Philip beautifully said, we are in this this series looking at the keys to the abundant life. We also call them spiritual disciplines. Yeah, that's a discipline is the dirty word sometimes, right? It's that word that we don't want to quite lean into. It's the hard stuff. But to Pastor Philip's point, it produces such fruit in our life. Think of it like this. You can't have fruit. You won't have fruit unless you're connected to the root. And that's what the discipline is. Because we we don't drift towards God. We naturally drift away from him. Because that's where the cultural current is flowing. We live in a fallen world. And so our natural starting place, if you just stand in the river, you're going to find yourself downstream further than you ever thought. So you've got to swim against the current you got to be disciplined in saying, I want to be nearest to the sources I can because he's the source of rest, joy, intimacy, and all that we're looking for, right? And so last week, Pastor Craig, I believe, talked on scripture, and tonight we're looking at another key, and this is going to sound fun, I know. We're going to look at solitude and meditation. Everybody say solitude. Everybody say meditation. Come on, there's a couple of words that you don't drop every day, right? Exactly. Anybody else think of a monk just now when you said that? Exactly. But you know, my hope for you tonight is that you would see solitude and meditation a little differently and that you would lean into this life-giving practice practices. Um, so the first question is this, what is solitude? What is solitude? Solitude is this, it's purposely abstaining from human interaction for the purpose of giving full attention to God. So what, what is solitude? It's where I'm going to intentionally abstain. Even though I have access to a plethora of people in my life, I'm going to remove myself from human interaction for the purpose of giving God my full attention. Put it another way, it's choosing to sit with yourself and with God himself, which for some of us can be pretty intimidating. And so here's what I realized. For some of us, solitude is such a challenge because we have such an addiction to distraction between phones and TV and the many jobs that we hold and kids. My God, if you have kids under five years old, I do. Uh, you're, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you can't, there is no solitude. Are you kidding? They're on top of you. It's, it's all in your head. And what what happens, though, is in the many busyness of life and striving to do more and get more and interact more and post more and view more and know more and more and more and more, it becomes a distraction where we easily ignore what is on the inside. You see, again, without a rhythm of withdrawing to solitude where there's no distraction, we end up with messes in our lives and we don't understand why. Because we thought we're doing more I'm knowing more, I'm producing more, but how is it that I have more mess in my life? And it's a trap. It's a trap in our thinking. We're going to see that tonight. Because after all, we tried our best. Come on, as any of you in the room, you've tried your best, you gave your effort, and it still didn't turn out, and you're wondering why. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And it's because probably you didn't have a rhythm of your life of withdrawing from the distraction from making the thing the main thing when it was never the main thing. Because again, that's, that's the cultural current. Solitude reminds us that the best solutions in life do not come from activity, but from reflection with him. That's what solitude reminds us of, that it's not about what I can do. It really is about being with him, hearing from him. See, solitude confronts our need to distract rather than admit and confront we would rather distract ourselves than confront the unsurety. You know, in counseling, they call it blind spots. Blind spots are the places that 
everyone else knows, but you don't know and you don't want to admit. And what solitude will do for you when you get alone and you have to go sit with your being, yeah, you begin to confront some things and feel some things that you don't want to talk about. The resentments, the unforgiveness, the lust, the frustrations, the anger of not getting what you feel like you deserve in your marriage, in your finances, in your job. You go sit with where you're at. And that's what solitude for so many, it's, it's to put it another way, it's, it's, not, it's not attractive. It's not luring. Because I'm inviting you to go sit with yourself in God. And that could be pretty intimidating. Blaise Pascal, a mathematician and theologian, brilliant mind. He said this, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, and that they cannot stay quietly in their own chamber. Most of the problems that we face is just we can't go and just sit and be, Pascal says. And he's hitting on it. We end up with messes in our life because we end up making what is not the main thing the main thing. And we end up making a mess of it. Now, I will say this, solitude is not isolation. Solitude is not isolation. Isolation is about being alone. Solitude is about being alone with God. Yeah? Yeah, and so some of us have been isolated before. You've experienced it in middle school. It started. (laughs) You tasted of it maybe in high school or college or at a place of work. You've felt the sting of isolation what brings no refreshing, which torments the soul. No man was meant to be alone. No man was meant to be an island. And to feel the sting of rejection and you don't belong anywhere, that's not what we're talking about tonight. That's isolation. That is dangerous. No one's advocating for that. But what, what, what changes and shifts between isolation and solitude is the intention behind it. It's one thing where I'm a victim of being isolated, but it's another thing when I volunteer to go alone when I have the busyness of relationships around me that make me feel important. Come on, you all have your friends that you know, you're a little bit better than that make you feel a little bit better when you leave. Right? Come on, you all have those friends. You know, it's like in one area, you got them. At least I don't do that, you know? And then you have the other friends where it's like, man, they make me feel. But what solitude does is it invites you to go and sit with yourself, admit some things, and be alone with God. That's what solitude is. Now, why practice solitude? Why would anyone on planet Earth go and do this? Which, by the way, these practices, when we talk about the Christian being different than the world, being set apart, this is partly what we mean. That what looks like to the world, isolation is our solitude. It's different. And the world, people who don't believe in God, imagine an atheist. For an atheist, there is no God. This, they're the one and the same. But it's to the one who is spiritual. It's to the one who's been awakened that God and his kingdom are real and alive. Oh, this changes everything. And this, my friends, is what shifts and what sets Christians apart from the world. Not in this I'm better you fashion, but we're just chasing after something else. So it looks like isolation, maybe to your coworkers, when you're like, where are you going next weekend? <laughs> They're not going to understand that because you're like, I'm going to go be alone with God. <laughs> to spiritual, spiritual things to unspiritual people may seem foolish. It seems unwise. It seems unreasonable. Yeah, come on. So why practice solitude? Well, the first reason is this. Jesus practiced solitude himself, which is thought-provoking when you really think about it. Luke 15, I'm sorry, Luke 5 verses 15 through 16 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Wow. Activity, activity, activity. But Jesus, often a theme of his life, a rhythm of his life, was that he would withdraw to the lonely places and prayed. He practiced solitude. And I think this is, please don't miss this, this is so key tonight, that in the rush of life, in the busyness of doing good, a thriving ministry at that, Jesus prioritizes solitude, getting alone intentionally, away from people to be alone with God. He withdraws himself. And so if the Son of God needed to be alone with himself and the Father, 
how much more do you and I? How much more do we need that rhythm in our life of waving a white flag and said, I'm out, and withdrawing to a lonely place where there are no others, and to go and sit with the Father? And the reason behind this, I believe, why even Jesus practices is that so often we lose perspective. And in our doing, we distract ourselves and we start believing a lie that we're alone, that we're carrying everything by ourselves and that the world is on our shoulders. I believe that sometimes in the grind of life, we start believing that it's up to us to make it happen. We carry and shoulder that. And see, what solitude does is solitude exposes our idols. Because we're the one who drives the bus behind productivity. We're the one who makes things happen. And look at Jesus. He's making things happen. Crowds are coming after him. He's healing people of diseases who've been struggled with, who've struggled with their whole life. He's doing something. But he always maintained the perspective of where it really came from. So again, solitude exposes our need to be distracted and to produce and to be useful. You see, it's in the solitude and inactivity where you're going to be alone with God. It's not about what you're doing. It's who you are with him that God takes his rightful place as God in our lives. You see, when we cease our activity, we begin to recognize his activity. And that is the reason and the beauty of solitude is that even Jesus, when he withdrew, it was not about what more he could do. It was about, Father, where should I put my hand next? What city do I go to next? I know what I can do, but it's not about that, God. It's about who you are, your plan. You are God in my life. So I will cease activity in my life so that I can see what you're doing because I don't want to miss it. I don't ever want to get and buy into the lie that I'm shouldering everything you are. Solitude is about maintaining the right perspective. I will purposely, occasionally cease my activity and get alone to recognize, God, you are God. And what it does is really solitude is a form of death. Because there, there is a day and a time when you and I will be fully in solitude. Where we are fully going to be with God forever. And we will cease all activity on earth. Solitude is a practice of, 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 of an eventual destination for me. Where I will cease all activity and I will be with him and he's still going to rule and reign. It doesn't matter what happens to the business. It doesn't matter what happens to the family. Come on, like anything I'm stressing out about, none of that stuff matters. I am done. I'm dead to those things. They don't have that right in my life anymore. You are God and you are active and you are doing something despite what I do, God solitude, it's, it's really solitude captures the heart of Psalm 46, verse 10, a well-known scripture. Be still and know that I am God. So it really, another translation of this would say, a better translation I would say of Psalm 46, 10 is, cease your striving and know that I'm God. Cease your activity and recognize who's really at work in the room. And that's what the spirit of solitude is. That's the rhythm, that's the ethos of solitude. That you would have a moment in your life where you would intentionally put on the brakes and say, wait a minute, I know where my bread comes from. I know where production comes from. And you know, especially we need solitude, not just in the busy times, but in the frustrating times, don't we? We need to be reminded more than ever that it is not me who does it, it is you, Lord. So I remove my hand and I let you be God. Not only that, I find that in the busyness of life, we believe and buy into the lie that if we we stop and we get alone and just talk to God, then our production will stop. But this is what I love about solitude, that there's a practical application to this. You see, what I realize is that even with well-intentioned effort that doesn't have instruction, perspective, a guide, it'll be wasted effort. See, what solitude gives us is, again, perspective. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom, and it helps you succeed. You see, I think so often in our life and what we waste is we dig an eight-foot hole, and we, we dig it out, and we get to the very bottom, and we climb out of that hole, and we say, God, look at what I did. And God looks at you and says, that's a great hole. 
That really is. You, I mean, you great effort. But I needed the hole over there. And I think so often in our lives, right, we do that. Maybe, maybe when we're younger, of course, but, like, we do that in life. We just go at it. And we, we think that it requires much and much more of our doing. But really, we're working with a dull axe. Things can go a lot more smoother and a lot more in its right timing and place and season when we yield to solitude and we say, God, download to me the inside story. Where do you want the hole? Because I got a shovel. I'm ready. But where do you want the hole, God? You know, uh, Proverbs, what is it? Uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. That when you understand how things work, how you're not the main producer, it's the Lord who moves and shakes. The, the labors build in vain unless the Lord builds the house, Psalm 133. When you realize the wisdom behind that, it yields waiting. It yields patience. It yields I know when and where to build this hole. And so for some of you, you're looking for business decisions. You're, look, you're frustrated. You've tried everything in the book but solitude. You've tried all the activity. You're hacking at that thing with a dull axe, my friend. Solitude is about sharpening your axe. It's about making you more effective about the work that God has called you to do. If you will retreat. But that's the lie of the enemy. Do you think if you cease your activity, there will be no more activity? But in fact, when you stop your activity, that's when God gets to work more than ever. And you let God be God. And that's not an excuse for laziness or not effort, but it's well-intentioned effort. Sharpen that blade. We gain wisdom when we do this, how to move forward in our relationships, our jobs, and just life in general. That's the beauty and think the, the, the wisdom of why Jesus, why would Jesus, who knows everything, why would Jesus, who is God, why would he feel the need to often withdraw? And I think that was part of this. You know, it, the Bible says that he prayed all night on a mountain before he elected and selected his disciples. And we think about the major decisions that we make in our life and how often we rush into them, right? But we can make better decisions as people of God if we will have this rhythm of withdrawing from human interaction for the purpose of meeting with God for extended times. Second reason why we practice solitude is this. Solitude redefines being alone. Solitude redefines being alone. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus is teaching on religious practices like giving, prayer, and tithing. And he says this, when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, everybody underline secret if you have your notes, secret will reward you. You know, I love that Jesus connects prayer with solitude, withdrawal, the secret place. And so what I want you to understand is this, solitude amplifies all the other spiritual disciplines that you'll learn. Prayer, fasting, even in giving, when you practice these things from a rhythm of solitude in your life, they amplify them even more. See, this is what's interesting is that every other spiritual discipline we talk about, you can do with other people, but solitude. You can pray with other people. You can fast with other people. You can give with other people. I mean, you can consecrate. You could confess with other people. You can, do, <laughs> you can do anything with other people. But you know, the one thing that you're not supposed to do with other people is solitude. And that's why it amplifies all the other. And guys, this is a great Christian teaching for all of the church. You think every pastor, every pastor in the world would love their people to practice getting along with God because when they show up on Sunday, (laughs) everything's amplified. You're more sensitive to God than you've ever been. You're more freed up than you're, your, your act is already sharp. You're more sensitive to what's happening in the room. Solitude amplifies the disciplines. So no wonder Jesus said, when you pray, go in secret. He says, I want you to tap in to the power of prayer, but it's going to be dulled when you only do it in front of others. you got to do it in solitude. you got to remove yourself from human interaction. Meet with me and do these things of journaling, fasting, reading the word. But here's another, here's another idea I want, you to, I want you to understand tonight. Is that in solitude, we are redeeming the secret place. You see, We used to hide from God, but now we get alone with God. 
you used to close the door, shut the lights when you're alone and turn on porn and look at it. And you thought, my wife doesn't know and God doesn't know because I'm alone. You used to think when you drove by a church that you didn't have to cuss because God's where God is and he's surely not in my room alone with me. What we used to, what we used to think is that the secret place was for doing darkness, lying and cutting the deal, shortchanging others. Doing what you could do because no one sees. But what, what solitude teaches us is that God is not just when I'm with other people. God is here alone with me in the room. I want you to understand the solitude is about God getting in your level of integrity. Getting in your inside life and saying, I want to redeem what you think is only yours. Your secret place does not belong to you. It belongs to me. I want what you even do in secret. And every one of us have it. You have a secret. You have something you withhold from others. And God's saying the one thing I, I, the one thing I want you to withhold, the only thing you can withhold, I want it to be you and me in a room alone where you sit with me and you sit with yourself and we talk. The secret place was about darkness, but now it's about light. The secret darkness used to be our place where we could do what we wanted. Now the secret place is about light where we learn what, what, what we can do with him. And so we no longer see our loneliness as isolation, that we need to fill and fill with distraction and, and, and substance abuse and, and, and addiction. Christ has redeemed our isolation and said, now it is solitude with me. It is your safe place. It is the place where I will coach you. It's the place where I will love you like a lover loves a lover. I will be with you in the solitude. I will meet you in the secret place. Dare me. Walk in there and I will meet you. God wants to redeem your secrets. And he wants to meet you in that place if you'll let it be that place with him. And it's not about a competition. It's about in the midst of your secret, invite him. Do you know, I'll testify to this right now. That's how I got delivered from pornography when I was 17 years old. I'm alone in the secret place. Everybody asleep. I'm alone. It's a secret. Nobody would know. You wouldn't even know this right now. And isn't that the other thing is that when you're in Christ, what it used to shame me in my darkness, I can voluntarily bring it to the light. Here it is in the light because I have a real solitude with God. So what I'm saying is that in that secret place, God delivered me. I brought him in there. I'm looking at porn and I'm talking to God. God, this is the only way I know. I know how to meet with you in prayer, but I know how to do this too. You'll have to change this. And he did. That day he revealed some things to me that set me free from the power of lust and pornography in my life. And I've been set free from that in my life. That is a freedom in my life. But that's because I allowed God to redeem my secret place. Are you guys with me? You gotta have a solitude with God, beloved. You gotta have solitude with him. If you don't have that rhythm in your life, you, no wonder prayer is dull. No wonder all these things are dull because you you're only doing it with others. You've gotta get alone with him. You gotta get alone with him. Here's the other thing, the last thing. Solitude does something else, really practical. It reveals and empowers relationships. When you start practicing solitude, getting alone with God and yourself on a regular basis, look what happened to Jesus. Luke 4.42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Solitude. And the people were what? Looking for him. And when they came where he was, what did they try to do? They tried to keep him from leaving them. I want you to understand something. Solitude will reveal over-reliance in your relationships. People who rely too heavily on you will be offended when you try to retreat with God alone. People who are over-dependent upon and, and are needy in your ability to text, call, Instagram, DM, go to lunch, when, when they are offended by your solitude, that's typically an indication that they are over-reliant upon your presence. And here's what I know about all of us. If we're not relying upon the presence of God in the place of solitude, I promise you, you're the one who's going to be offended by someone else's solitude. If you are not dependent upon the presence of God regularly, you will be dependent upon someone else's presence. To be your comfort, to be your guide, to be your instruction, to be what you need. Solitude reveals over-reliance. 
It's the same thing with, in, in Luke 10. That's a story about Mary and Martha. I, I, we don't have time to go through it all, but essentially, for those that don't know, Mary and Martha are sisters. They invite Jesus. Imagine, host, imagine hosting Jesus at your house, right? You're like, make sure the house is clean, baby. <laughs> Jesus is coming over. They're hosting Jesus, and there's this thing that happens where Martha is busy hosting Jesus well. She's an activity, doing a lot. And, and Mary is found at the feet of Jesus, just listening to him teach, just being with him. And Martha makes this statement, like, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come help me. And Jesus reminds her, Martha, Martha. Come on, we all know it. Martha, Martha, Martha. You know, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Activity, activity, activity. But few things are really needed. You're not sharpening your axe. You're really dull. Mary's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I think the beauty and the wisdom of this is, again, it shows an over-reliance on Martha always needing Mary to justify her behavior. In a world that is constantly pushing activity, that doesn't understand solitude and only knows isolation, when you practice solitude, your coworkers will wonder why you're so lazy. To the unspiritual, your practice of solitude will expose an over-reliance upon your ability to do. But little do they know of the God who works wonders, the kingdom of God that is ruling and reigning right here and right now. And what you're doing when you solitude is you are waving a flag to the world and all your relationships. It is not me that you see. It is him. It, what you see and what I do does not come from my power. It comes from the one that meets me in the secret place. That's what you're doing to the world, to your relationships, and do that. And it's very powerful. We don't have time to go into that, but it's very powerful in marriages. God, when you want to talk about over-reliance in a married couple, and you guys start practicing solitude, ooh, stuff starts coming up, good stuff, and good conversations start happening. I love Exodus 34. This imagery that it gives, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he was spoken with the Lord for 40 days. You want to talk about solitude. Moses straight up with a beard and long hair, straight up went up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says, and he was alone with God. And he talked to him face to face as a friend does. And the Bible says that when he came down from his time with God, his place of solitude with God, his secret place, he wasn't even aware of it, but his face shone. And I think that's the beauty of solitude. It empowers relationships out of our solitude, our faces shine. And what I mean by that is this. We become more settled and more free to be present to others. I find that when, I, when I'm out of my rhythm of solitude, of meeting with God, I'm a little more stingy with my attention. I'm a little more distracted with what's going on in the inside because I don't know what's going on in the inside. I just feel things I don't understand because I haven't sat in the place of solitude. Solitude will make you more centered and free to love. Every one of us in this room have to be liberated to love, freed to love, because we're going to be so caught up in our own self-care. But in the place of solitude, we are freed up in our meeting with him. Where I don't need to wonder what's going on, on the inside. I know. I got my temperature. So now when I sit with you in your place, I can be aware of what stirs up in me, and I can actually be present and hold space with you. It's so funny. When I create space in my life intentionally, I have more room for you to enter into that space and for me to converse. Solitude, solitude is a beautiful, beautiful rhythm in your life if you'll intentionally do it, which brings me to my last point with solitude. If we're going to practice solitude, practice solitude, it requires planning and time. You know, I don't know about you, but like who can just tomorrow spend 40 days alone with God right now? <laughs> it takes planning. Because the moment I say that, there's a, me there's a measure of anxiety when you, when you do it, oh, what about this? We've got to make this sure this is getting ready. Be, oh, God, it's going to all fall apart if I leave. I mean, what if I, who's going to do this? And, and it's okay. Like, God's got it. <laughs> Other people got it. The world doesn't fall apart. It's okay. Be still, cease your striving, and know that I am God. But listen, it'll take planning and time. It's not going to happen accidentally. That's my one practical tidbit for you tonight. If you're going to practice solitude, you've got to plan it. That's the thing. You're never going to stumble through life being like, oh, God, solitude. You may, you may stumble in life and find yourself isolated, 
And then you're like, oh, where's God? (laughs) But you'll never stumble into solitude. You will have to, as Jesus did, withdraw. Are you guys getting that? You'll have to withdraw. It takes planning. You have to plan it. Think about the rhythms of your life. If you're a school teacher, the summer's a great time, right? Think about the nature of your work. If you're a plant worker and working 12 on, 12 off, there you go. Hey, I know I'm working 12 off this day. I'm going to take two days, babe. Plan it out. Let everybody know. Get the kids. Grandma, call her in. I got to do what I do, but I've got to withdraw. And in your marriages, you need to give each other permission to wave the white flag and say, I got to withdraw. Solitude, solitude, solitude. So, but what do we do when we're alone with God? This last part, this last little piece, I'll, I'll, for the sake of time, I really want us to practice this. Let me get through some of this. Is What do we do when we're alone with God? What do we say or think? Because some of you are like, I'll get alone with God, but what am I going to do? It's like sit and listen to silence? Well, no. Well, well, you meditate. That's what you can do. What's meditation? Meditation is using your mental power to unfold an idea. Where you're going to search out its meaning and apply it to your life. You're going to practice some meditation when you get in solitude with God. Now, when I say meditation, probably some of you think of like, like again, like a monk with his eyes closed, legs crossed. But let's be honest, most of us can't even cross our legs anymore. <laughs> Meditation's not that. It's about plotting, pondering, reflecting. It's mental power. But this is very interesting. Meditation in the Old Testament, it's really cool. It's, it's hagoth, which comes from the word haga, which means to murmur. So like, for instance, as we're going to see here in Joshua 1.8, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Lips. Why on the lips? Meditate. Murmur. Murmur. Have it on your breath. Have it on your mind day and night. Keep it there. Come on, have you ever thought about something so much with so much effort that you find yourself just kind of murmuring? You know, it's, always, it's like, man, if I put it over here, man, if it's going to go. That's meditation. It needs to be a so, such a part of me where I'm not doing anything. I have to be so ingrained. I have to be so ingrained. I can't figure it out so much. I even have to murmur it for it to like not just be in here. Meditation is all of your mental power wrapped up. That's why meditation and solitude go hand in hand. There's no distraction. Now you can really do some thinking. And so what do you do? You'll murmur. You'll meditate. Man, God, if, if you really say you love me, then what, why do I feel this way, man? And God, if, you, if you're really for me, then why does this keep happening? And how do I, what do I? Oh, and, and, and the Holy Spirit will drop thoughts in your life. Here's, what, here's how I would call it meditation. Meditation is chewing. Meditation, to put it another way, how I think about it, is chewing. It's chewing. So here's, what, here's a little tip I want to leave you with. The deeper the meaning, the longer the chew. So bread, bread's interesting. I take a piece of bread, and I can put it on your tongue. It's going to melt, and it's going to taste like sugar. Because carbohydrates, long chains of carbohydrates, when they're broken down, broke down into simple sugars. So you'll taste something sweet when I take a piece of bread. That's why we love bread and we love the carbs, baby. It's made up of a lot of sugars. <laughs> and so uh, we love bread. But you know what's interesting about bread is you don't even have to chew it to have it. It's a sweet. But meat, meat, you can't, it doesn't do that. You don't have enough enzymes in your saliva to break it down fast enough. You have to chew. The thicker, the more richer the meaning the longer the chew. Are you guys getting that? And so this is why when we get to John 6, 53, and Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What he's saying is this. It's not enough that you just put it on your tongue like manna and let it melt, and you don't have to chew it. I am the bread of life. You got to chew on me a little bit. Some of us, we don't have a deeper revelation of God because we think it's like bread. And we like getting fed bread. You just put it on my tongue. Let it melt. There's no work to it. But when we get in solitude and we, we meditate, we chew on it a little bit more, it gets in us. And so some of you are expecting to treat meat like bread and you wonder why it's not working. And so some of us think that we understand the cross and we don't get the gist about it, why it's so powerful because that's the thing about the cross. It's meat, but yet bread at the same time. It's bread that anyone can understand it, but for those that have been in it long enough, you've got to learn how to chew. You've got to learn how to chew on the meaning of it. There is so much the Lord wants to tell you and speak to you, but you've got to learn how to chew, beloved. You've got to learn how to learn to take an idea meditate on it. 
just the other day, I was sitting with the Lord on my porch, about to get my kids up. I'm reading Psalm 34, and I came across verse 6. It says, this poor man, he called out to God. God heard him, and God saved him from his troubles. And that just popped out of me. And, and throughout the day, and I'm still, I'm still chewing on it. I'm still chewing. And I'm just, I'll repeat the scripture over and over, and I'll just, man, what is... And then he hit me, I'm that poor man. I'm the poor guy who called out to God, God heard him and saved him from all his troubles many, many times. That's me. And all of a sudden, that got in my being in my solitude with God. And all of a sudden, I start seeing my life a little differently. And why? Because I chewed on it. For some of you, the solitude's intimidating because you don't know what to think about. You don't know what to do when you're there. Here's what you do. You chew. Go and just chew. Chew on the truth about God. Let that resonate on the inside. Let the Holy Spirit drop some things in you and just chew on it. Let God talk to you. He does. Here's what I know about meditation. Really quickly, it's powerful. Here's three things the scripture reveals. When you meditate, you will prosper. He says when you do it day and night, when you really get these, you chew on it good enough, guess what? You're going to be prosperous and successful, Joshua. You're going to know you're not going to be like a dull axe that's worn out. You're going to be a sharp blade. Here's another thing. You won't run dry. Psalm 1 says, those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on it, chew on it, really get it, they're like a person trained by streams of water. They don't wither. They prosper. You ain't going to dry up because you chewed on it. You got it in you in the place of solitude. And then lastly, here's the other thing you won't miss. You won't miss. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Some of us are like, feel like we keep making the same mistakes. And again, it's because you only feed on bread. Who can live on bread, man? You need some meat. So chew on it, beloved. Get in the, the quiet place and chew, chew on it. Here's a couple things I think you can apply this week. I want to challenge you with this this week. I want you to honestly schedule a time to get alone with God in a journal for just 10 to 20 minutes. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to schedule that time and everything on hell, everything from hell is going to make you get distracted and not go there. You're going to think of a thousand reasons why you don't need, and it's a waste of time because it's new. But if you'll lean in by faith, by trusting that God's going to meet you there, and you say, God, I'm going to go, and don't chase the feeling, don't chase his hand, chase his heart, and you just go and sit, I'm telling you, I believe this. I believe God is going to meet you where you're at. Have a journal ready, because sometimes you're so distracted and bottled up. Journal, just free flow journal. Just start writing stuff down. You don't even know. Just start writing. Ah, I feel this way. I don't even know why. Don't try to reason it out. Just, ah, just feel. Let the, let the floodgates open a little bit and watch. Oh, there's God. He'll start dropping scriptures, start reminding you of some things. You'll get settled on things that were once confusing. That's what God's going to do. But you got to schedule a time. Come on, expectation without, without investment is a wish. If you expect God to meet you, you got to invest. Schedule it right now. Not right now, you know what I mean, but like tonight, you need to schedule that. Lastly, last thing is this. This week, maybe you want to do this in your time alone with God, but I want you to read Scripture. And I recommend either Psalms or Proverbs or Ephesians. Just stay in one of those books. And I want you to read until something pops out. Like for me, Psalm 34, verse 6. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to write that scripture out. Just write it out. Some, some are short, some are long. Say it out loud. Commit it to memory. And then what I want you to do is learn how to chew. Just chew on it. At lunch, take out that bar and chew on it. Mm. All right, God. At night before you go to bed, all right, God, man, mm, is there anything else there? I'm trying to get its meaning, and I'm trying to apply it to my life. What else is there, God? And he's going to meet you there. Do you believe that tonight? Guys, Austin's playing so beautifully back here. I, I, think, we need to, I think we need to practice this. Hey, will you stand to your feet with me? There's enough of, us, enough of us in the room. Just for these next next 10 minutes or so, five minutes or so, 
as Austin uh, leads us in this moment, I want to challenge you to do really, really two things. I want you to do two, two things tonight, if you'll go with me. It's just in a moment, I want us to spread, I want us to find a, a place alone in this room. And as a mini version of solitude, I want you just in that moment, I don't want you to say a thing. I don't want you to do a thing. Cease activity. And I want you just to begin to chew. Just chew. Chew on the truth that God loves you. Let's just start there. And I want you just to let God minister to you for just a moment. Some of you are, some of you are thinking God is a slave master that, that, that you've got to serve and do. But I think the Lord wants to bless you if you'll sit still. And you'll cease your activity. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, I want you guys to find a space in this room where you can get alone. You can come to the front. You can sit on a chair. You can sit on the floor. But just get alone. And let's let the Lord minister for just a moment to you. He wants to meet you right where you're at. Father, I thank you for your presence. Father, I thank you that that Jesus is not just some dead God in the ground. He is the risen king, the rightful one, the one that we did not esteem, but we esteem here and now. You are alive and your presence is here. You said where two or three are in the midst of them. You are there. So God, we pray and invite you here tonight. And God, I'm asking this. I'm asking this, Yahweh, that you would meet those who would meet with you in solitude. And God, I pray that you would speak to them. You have our attention tonight. Use this, I pray, Father. Use this tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, right now, would you find a place in the room to get alone with God as Pastor Aaron leads us?
Father, thank you. May we have many more, many more. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.